I'd like to invite you to grab your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. As you're doing so, let me remind you that it is less than a week until Christmas. The aroma of fresh evergreen fills our houses. By now, at least for most of us, the lights are up. The tree, <laughs> the tree is decorated. The stockings have been hung by the chimney with care. Hot cider, I hope all of you have had an opportunity to let hot cider cool the chill as the evenings have gotten longer and colder. Parties have been thrown. The cards, hopefully, are in the mail. <laughs> By now, we've relished the taste of warm gingerbread as it melts in our mouth. Christmas is nearly here, and yet, from some of the murmuring I heard as I went through the list, it feels like there's still too much to do. The shopping, the wrapping, the cooking, the cleaning, the traveling, the list goes on and on. So much to do, so little time. But thankfully, in the distance, the Apostle John is trying to catch our attention. He's trying to draw us back to where our focus ought to be. And so we hear from his first chapter. Again, our focus this morning will be verses 14 through 18, but I'm going to read from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No one likes waiting. No one. We all like to get what we want when we want it. And yet, one of the more interesting ironies of Christmas, which we herald as the most wonderful time of the year, as the season that nearly everyone loves, one of the most interesting ironies of Christmas is that it is an occasion filled with waiting. During these four weeks, 
We wait in more lines in more places than we do at any other time of the year. The shopping mall, the post office, the grocery store, the airport check-in counter. We wait to finally be on break from school or work. We wait and wonder if we're going to be able to go home or come home for the holiday. And of course, especially children, we wait to exchange and receive gifts with our loved ones. Is that gift that I've been waiting to give to that special someone going to be received the way that I planned? Is that package under the tree that I've shook several times and measured its dimensions really what I think it is? Even though we enjoy the anticipation, most of us don't like to wait. As odd as that sounds, the proof is in how we wait during Christmas, most of us. We wait, you and I, by keeping busy. We try to wait for what will come by checking things off the list, by focusing on the stuff that we have to get done. And if we're honest, what that really means is we aren't waiting at all. By staying focused on the next thing, we avoid waiting for what is still coming. Keeping busy, always looking ahead to the next thing in our list, comes at a price. We can get so fixated on that next thing. We can get so fixated on the future that we can fail to see what is right in front of us. The next thing we know, and maybe this has happened to you in years past, maybe it's about to happen to you now, the next thing you know, Christmas has come and gone. We're taking down all the lights, putting away all the decorations, and wondering, how did it go by so fast? Beloved, we can go through the motions of Christmas, but we can miss the point of what it's all about. But again, thankfully, we've got John tapping us on the shoulder, putting things into perspective, as he, right in the middle of his first chapter, continues by telling us, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John is declaring yet again that the gift of Christmas is the gift of God unveiling himself to us, of condescending, of coming down to our level in Jesus Christ so that we can look and know him fully. The fancy theological word for this that we use at this time of year is incarnation. God comes in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, to reveal himself to us, to draw us, draw us into relationship with him. Now, just in case we've heard this one already, or perhaps we don't get what all the fuss is about, John drives home this announcement in verse 18. His words, again, are blunt and yet clear, simple, and yet if you listen carefully, they are stunning. John simply says, no one, no one has ever seen God. John is reminding us of the immeasurable gap between God and us. We may be created in the image of God, but the distance and difference between God and human beings is vast. We can look up all we want to. We can let our imaginations run wild, but we cannot fully know God through our own powers of observation and discernment. Sin, our fatal flaw, our inherent obsession with and worship of ourselves obscures the reality of the Creator from our view. 
if we don't believe that we are God, we often mistake the things of creation for the creator. We need God to reveal himself in a way that we can understand to break through the darkness that John has spoken of earlier. Without God revealing himself, you and I, and we have done it for centuries and beyond, we craft stories of gods. We make up pagan gods. And in those tales, we envision these gods showing up on earth periodically. But John smacks that down and says quite clearly, John declares that until Jesus came, this was a fantasy. This was a dream. Before Christ, the one true God has never been directly seen with human eyes. Beloved, we, we left Exodus to enter into Advent, to Advent and, and as we will continue to see, not even someone like Moses could see God. Moses has met and talked with God and he will continue, but he will never see God. Moses will come to a point as we go through Exodus where he will speak for us all as he asks the ultimate question, expresses the ultimate desire of every human being. When he said, Lord, let me see you. And even Moses was only permitted to see something of God's glory until now. What happens through a virgin named Mary, what happens in a stable in Bethlehem, is nothing less than God making himself known. One moment, Moses is standing in the cleft of a mountain, sneaking a glance through a crack at God's backside. And the next, he is standing, beholding his God on the mountaintop itself as he talks face to face with Jesus Christ. When we stare into the eyes of that child, beloved, when we gaze upon Jesus, we peer into the face of God. Through Jesus, we can know God truly, intimately, personally. He reveals God to us, not just in his words and deeds, but also in his very person, which is why we are all called to be expert students, continual students of Jesus. John underscores this for us when he says that Jesus is at the Father's side. No one could be closer. In Jesus, we see a perfect reflection of the Father, the full revelation of the heart of God. So if you're here this morning, or if someone in your life is struggling, struggling to fathom how God works in the world, if you have those moments where you scratch your, your head and you say, how does God work in this world? How does this God exercise power? John says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus to understand how this God exercises power. If you're one who questions, is God really good? Is God good in the midst of all that I see, all that I experience? And if I want to even go more abstract, what is goodness? John says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus to know that God is good. Look to Jesus to know how you might even begin to define what goodness is. And if you're one who longs to understand the wisdom of God, the real meaning of truth and beauty, as we debated in every generation in our culture, what is true, what is beauty? John says the answer is not easy, but the place to go to is quite simple. Look to Jesus. No one can give us a fuller account of God than Jesus has done. And beloved, this is what we are missing year after year if we just fill our Christmas with busyness, if we let the holiday rush 
And we were out yesterday. We were driving and we were at a stoplight. And Beth said, can you feel it? My wife. And I could feel it. Less than a week into Christmas, the holiday rush gets turned up a notch. You're out driving, you can sense the panic, the desperation in the air. <laughs> if you were smart, you stayed away, you got to the malls early, but if you go now, by God, you'll never do it again. <laughs> you walk into a store and everybody, the mu it's, it's just the, the, the greatest contrast. The music is playing, but everybody has a face that looks like the Grinch. <laughs> My lion? The people who are working, man, those are the ones you feel the world sorry for. They're making overtime and they deserve it because they're just, just trying to just, you know, thank you for coming. Merry Christmas. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> this is what happens when we let the holiday rush eclipse our Advent waiting. I don't know in the midst of all of this, the holiday rush, if you've seen the new Christmas commercial for the BMW. It opens with a little kid in a toy store drooling over a Lionel train display. The mom is holding a different train and she says, oh, this one's just like that other one. And as the camera pulls back, we see that she's holding a different toy piece. And the kid says under his breath, no, it's not. And then there's a quick flash and the kid becomes a teenager. And he's in a, in a music store and he's holding a guitar and his dad is holding a presumably cheaper guitar. And he goes, hey, you know, this one's pretty much the same. And the kid says, it's not the same. Years later, when this boy becomes a man in our commercial, time passes that quickly in 90 seconds. He's buying a BMW. He's in the store looking in, and he says to the salesman, this is just what I wanted. The commercial ends with him driving off and the announcer talks about how you don't have to settle for imposters or cheap knockoffs this Christmas season. Now, John is speaking of something of greater significance than a train, a guitar, and yes, even a BMW. But the point is the same. In a parenthetical note, if you notice, John quotes John the Baptist, who said of Jesus, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This little aside is John's way of emphasizing, wanting us to realize that with Jesus, this is the one we have been waiting for. Throughout the first chapter of his gospel, he emphasizes whatever came before paled in comparison to this. While John reminds us later on that the law was given through Moses, he adds very quickly, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For John, and you'll see this as we go through the gospel, Jesus will expound this himself. For John, the giving of the law was a means of God revealing himself. The giving of the law was an act of grace. But for John, the law was simply a starting point. It was preparatory, if you will. Giving the law was like the ABCs of engaging God. The law was never meant to be an end in and of itself. Instead, John wants us to understand the law was provided as a means of waiting, of anticipating the coming of Jesus. John will wed these, these ideas together by saying that we can know Jesus is the one we have been waiting for because Jesus is the one who fulfills the law. Jesus is the one who shows and embodies the unfailing love and faithfulness of God revealed in the law. All the promises expressed through the law that no one else could keep, that no other person could deliver. And if you have any doubts, there's lots and lots of pages of backup material. All of the promises 
that no one could fulfill, that no one else could keep, that no one could deliver, John says, come in Jesus Christ. They come true in Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but understand what we celebrate. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. John makes it clear that Jesus is the one and only, that in Christ we get the gift that we've always wanted. God in the flesh. We receive a God who gets up close and personal, who shapes our relationship with him through his self-revelation in Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us who God is, and Jesus shows us what it means to walk in relationship with God every day. And John the Baptist is simply the last in a long line of prophets that stretches back to Moses who were waiting for this gift. Who as children of Abraham kept saying, it's not the same. No, it's not. Who kept reminding the children of Israel, the children of Abraham, to be expectant, to not accept or embrace poor substitutes or cheap imitations. And yet, beloved, as we sit here today, if we know our story, and I pray that we do, we know that those same prophets of old criticized those they spoke to for that very fact that they forgot that they stopped waiting. The people stopped being attentive to what God was doing. The people of Israel, and we can give many, many descriptive terms for it, but if we step back and look at it generally, the people got busy with their own interests, their own affairs, and their own calendar, and in their busyness, the people lost sight of the gift of God that was before them. We do well to remember, as we sing, as we portray, portray in pageants, that Jesus was born in obscurity. That as John writes, the world did not recognize him. Even later, even later when the boy grows into a man, when Jesus goes public with the announcement of the kingdom of God, people still fail to recognize him. The crowds, as they come and go, miss what Jesus is revealing and teaching them in the moment. And instead, in their coming and going, Jesus will have it put on the line as the people will say, you know, yeah, 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 just show us the Father. Show us the Father, show us this God, and we will believe you. We will be satisfied. And what does Jesus say? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Beloved, I think part of our problem with waiting is we don't really know how to do it. From our perspective, Waiting feels passive, doesn't it? For us, the act of waiting often feels like an empty or pointless activity. Someone tells us, usually your mom, just wait. And we feel like we're being asked to do nothing. My gosh, I gotta wait. Think about how often we describe our waiting. Yeah, I'm killing time. I'm literally putting it to death right now, waiting. I'm killing time. Yeah, I'm just standing still here, waiting. I'm waiting. Biblically, the concept of waiting is presented very differently. Waiting is not passive. Waiting has this active quality. Waiting is never based, as we often perceive it, on nothing. Waiting is never just whistling in the dark. Waiting, biblically, is always precipitated on something. Waiting is always based on a promise. In contrast to our language of just wait, the Bible speaks in terms of wait for it, wait for it. Waiting in the Bible is always about expectancy. 
Anticipation, looking towards heaven, keeping our eye on God. If you think about it, God even practices waiting. God waits for the right moment to intercede in our lives. Everything happens, we're told again and again in his word. Everything happens with God in his time. Jesus, too, reflects the value and meaning of waiting through his life. The people are always telling Jesus, in the Gospels of John and Matthew, Mark and Luke, you notice the people are always telling Jesus to move faster, to hurry up, to get on with it. You know, and Jesus' response is always the same. I wait upon the Father. In his life and in his teaching, Jesus keeps trying to show us how to wait. How to live in the moment with the expectation of discovering what God is already at work doing through us and through those around us. Hear that again. How to wait by living in the moment with the expectation of discovering how God is at work through us and through those around us. Waiting this way enables us to engage the future by seeing what is right in front of us and living in the present. But when we avoid waiting, when we perceive waiting as being a waste of time, we are forgetting that waiting and fulfillment go together. We know this in our lives, that we must wait for the greatest, the most profound, the most gentle things in life. And such waiting is not idle. The farmer who fails to till the ground, plant the seed, and tend the crops will know nothing of the harvest celebration. The person who fails to court and nurture their relationships will see little or no value in God's blessed gifts of marriage, family, or friendship. Just ask any mother about the waiting and fulfillment of pregnancy, of all the labor that comes before the labor, of all the joy that precedes the delivery. I keep seeing John in my, my rear view here, or my side view, and I think of John, and if you don't remember this from last year, they're newlyweds this year, John and Melissa. But John was one guy who could not wait to be married to Melissa. Every time you saw John, I'm telling you, I kept waiting for him to take off. It was, I always felt like I had to hold him down. And as much as John couldn't wait, he is someone who, who just typified the joy, the power that comes from waiting. And I had the privilege, as, you, as many of you may know, of, of officiating at their wedding. And it was hard for me to stay focused because you just saw in John, man, if I didn't finish soon, he was just going to run out of the church. <laughs> am I right? Yes, I am. <laughs> Beloved, waiting is not empty. Waiting is about living in the present in order to reach our future. It's not by accident that Jesus uses birth pangs and pregnancy as the metaphors for his second coming. Because Advent is every year, until Christ comes for the last time, Advent is about waiting for a new birth. It is the expectant joy of a new life. Advent reminds us that there is no Christmas unless we wait for it. Christmas, just like our own birth, is not something that we make happen. Christmas is something that happens to us. God in Christ breaks into the world. God in Christ comes into our lives by his own initiative. That's how it was the first time in Bethlehem. And that's how it is every Christmas of our lives. And so it will be when Jesus comes again for the last time. Waiting is what Christmas is all about. And beloved, the wait is nearly over. The time is nearly here. 
Jesus is about to be born again in the Bethlehem of our lives. Christ the King is going to come again into the dark and cold stable of our world. The weight of God's glory is going to press upon our hearts and minds as the almighty word of God condescends to human flesh and bone. His body and blood given for us, first in the borning cry of an infant and eventually in his final gasp of death on the cross. Are you ready to receive him? Is there room in your heart for the child of promise and prophecy? Or is your life so full right now that the journey to the manger seems more like a detour than a destination? It's not too late to get ready. There's still time to prepare for who is coming. The season of Advent slows down time so that we all have a chance to stop, look, and listen. Advent reminds us to stop our doing and to start waiting. Beloved, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you wait for reconciliation from a bitter quarrel with a family or a friend? Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He comes in perfect humility, holding no grudge, reconciling the world by his blood. Do you wait for healing in the midst of sickness, grief, or suffering? Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He comes as your great physician of body and soul. No disease, no handicap, no affliction, no loss, not even death itself will have the last word in your life. Do you wait with the heavy burden of your brokenness? Struggling, perhaps, with addiction. Struggling with failure. Struggling with despair. Are you joining creation in its groaning and yearning as it recognizes that Jesus is the one that we have been waiting for? He runs to us. He embraces us. He puts the Father's ring on our finger and new sandals on our feet. And he clothes us in his wedding garments. He comes to make all things new. For this is the one of whom the prophets spoke long ago. This is the one who perfects every law, who fulfills every promise, who reveals every truth, who forgives every sin. This is the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is the one whose kingdom shall have no end. Beloved, come and find your way back to Bethlehem this week. Leave your worries behind for what this Christmas must be and instead enter into what this Christmas always is. Yesterday, today, and forever. God is with us. God is with you. Jesus has come. Jesus is coming. Jesus will come again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.